You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am your host, Kristen Maxwell. And in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own world. Today, I have the pleasure to be talking to Rebecca Morrison about a recipe for happiness. And Rebecca Morrison is a lawyer turned executive leadership and happiness coach with a mission to spread joy by helping people discover what they need to live happier lives and build happier businesses. She loves to help successful but unsatisfied people discover their own happiness recipe. She is also the author of the book, The Happiness Recipe. Uh, Rebecca or Becky, welcome to your superpowered mind. Thank you. Yeah, you can call me Becky. I mean, Rebecca is what's on the front of the book, but I only get that name used when I'm in trouble. So, okay, you are not in trouble. (laughs) Well, so Becky, my first question is always what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? So, I think, you know, I've given this question some thought. And I think for me, um, one of my biggest superpowers is that I'm a really good untangler. And by that, I mean, I'm really good at taking very, what seem like and feel like very heavy and complicated sort of problems and being able to identify sort of which thread to pull to get them to unravel so that we can sort them out. That is truly amazing. What, what, a, what a gift. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's funny because I like the way you ask about superpowers because often our superpowers are things that are so um, endemic to us that we don't even realize they're special. And that's one for me. It's taken me a little time to realize that not everybody can do that in the same way that I can. Yeah, that is, that really truly is a, um, uh, because what I often, the people I often work with and my own brain has been this, it literally, I I describe it as this whole tangle inside yeah. the head of just yep. thoughts and everything swirling inside of there. And, and what path do you follow? Well, so, so did you have a situation where you had to, um, where you felt like you had a heavy, complicated problem and had to start to learn how to pull your own thread? Or um, is that something that is best with other people. (laughs) Well, actually, no, I mean, so I've had to do it in my own life too. And I definitely, you said it, right. I'm a lawyer turned um, executive leadership and happiness coach. And when I tell people that they're often like, well, how did you get from A to B? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it, the traveling from A to B was the result of some serious untangling starting way back, um, you know, about four and a half years out of law school, I had a toddler, I was married and still am married. Um, And my husband had a really intense job. And I found myself one evening sitting on the floor of the bathroom with my toddler in the tub and the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants and the toilet seat cover closed with a notebook on it and paper all around. And I was doing two things in quick, two things at the same time. I was trying to bathe my toddler and I was um, trying to prepare an expert for their upcoming deposition. At the time I was, you know, like I said, four and a half years out of law school working as a litigator. And 
I had kind of two thoughts in that moment in quick succession. The first was um, like, who says you can't do it all, right? Like I'm literally here, I'm a mom, I'm present and I'm also getting, you know, doing really well at work. I'm having some success, like I'm killing it. And then the second thought was, and I'm exhausted and I'm overwhelmed and this is unsustainable and I'm not even sure I'm happy. And so that was the beginning for me of trying to untangle what it was that I needed from my life in order to be happy that maybe looked a little bit different from everything that I was told I should want or that should define success. Mm-hmm. And so there is an element of it that I had to learn how to sort of like unravel um, from a very busy, full life place, the fundamentals of my own happiness recipe and then execute on them. Yeah. That's so interesting. I have to mention, well, I don't have to, but I will. I was also a litigator yes. for, for 10 years. And one of my memories is my daughter screaming. I had to put her down for a nap. Yep. And it was one of my days off because I was at this point working. They, I, I was able to go part-time, but I was obviously working on my day off. And she's screaming in her bedroom. And I was same thing. I was working on the summary judgment motion. And I'm like, <laughs> this is not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also I realized I don't like conflict so much. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, and so like, that's the second layer part of it. Right. Kristen, it's like, something's not working. Okay. Well, what is it that's not working? Right. Is it that I need a different schedule? Is it that the work isn't really feeding my soul? Like what is the actual issue? And that's to me where the untangling comes in is being able to get down to that sort of deeper level um, answer of what needs to be realigned in order to live in a happier way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thought I had again and again was I need to be helping. So like, I'm not helpful. I'm not Like, I really need to be helpful. It was this weird, and I haven't had that thought in a long time. So I hope that means I am being helpful. Yeah, very I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, um, I am really excited about, because I know so many people right now are struggling with, for a variety of reasons, their own happiness and feeling like there's more. And so I would, you know, any thing we can do to start getting awareness on what it is that that we need to do or having a path. So it doesn't feel so hopeless. Yeah. Um, I think is just crucial at this point. And I want to go deep into that, but let's just go to a break first. Um, and then we can, can you tell people where they can find your book and your work and all of that? Yeah. So there is um, the best place is my website, which is called untanglehappiness.com. And that's one-stop shopping. You can find links to the book, links to my work, all about me. That's where it's located. Great. Thank you, everybody. Go check that out. Um, her book is great, actually. Um, very helpful. I can tell you this myself. Um, and if you have any interest in finding out what we do um, in the Superpower Experts community, all of the programs we have and ways we bring people together, um, head over to your superpoweredmind.com. Hang on, we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kristen Maxwell, and I'm talking, talking to Becky Morrison 
about a recipe for happiness. So uh, where do we even start? When, you know, one of the things that you talk about, I think, is, is how we are um, often get so filled up with um, what we need to do, what we feel like we have to do, that we, we are not even aware of what it is that we want. Yeah. I think we, we live in a world that's very full, very fast paced. We have a lot of information coming at us kind of on a regular basis, even when we're in, in those transition moments in our lives, we've got, you know, a whole superpower, you know, computer in our hands, most of us. And as a result, I think we are very, we've become disconnected from kind of our true internal voice. And it really takes intentionality to return to that place where we're asking ourselves, like, what do I want? What do I need? What it, what matters to me in this situation or in this season of my life? And so that is, I think, the starting point is to get that connection or start rebuilding that bridge to self um, to the extent that you've, you've lost it, which I think, like I said, a lot of us have. And, and certainly in this time where people are you know, what I'm hearing is people are busier than they've been. They're overwhelmed. We, we can't um, yet define sort of a return to normal, whatever that's going to mean for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, you know, it, all of that added stress creates even more noise that kind of blocks that, that conversation with self about what really matters here. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things that you know, what kind of questions should people start to ask themselves, you know, just in this. So let's say, and also I'm really curious about how this applies even with to teenagers mm-hmm. and kids and not knowing themselves. I know I'm sure the idea of even having a true self to know might even be a revelation to them. Um, but, you know, where do you start? Is it truly just like, what's important to me? Like, where do you go with that? So actually the, where I like to start is to really get a full sort of inventory or picture, not of what's important to me. I think it's hard to go there first, Mm -hmm. but it's actually what's taking my time, energy, and resources right now. And I encourage people to take the time to actually write it down. You could type it, you could stick it on post-it notes on your wall. You could write it on a piece of paper. I'm not picky about the how, but somehow get it out of your head into a place that you can see it. Because there's there's something that happens kind of mechanically when we when we move the thought from inside to outside, we gain perspective on it. And so when you can get this kind of full inventory, and I said it purposely, what's taking your time, your energy, and your resources? So where are you spending your time? What are you staying up worried about? Like what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What are you spinning about? What are those thoughts? And then your resources, you know, is like what are, what is your um where's your money going? Where is Where are your other resources besides time and energy going? And getting that full inventory can take a minute to do. Um, but once you have it, you can start to see, for most people, they start to see, well, first of all, everyone learns something when they do it. They're surprised by what they see. And then they start to see patterns or they start to spot things that, oh, actually, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. And so for me, the, the recipe for maximum happiness is actually really simple. It's do more of what matters to you and less of the rest. But actually, the most important part to start is the for most people is the less of the rest part. And it's doing this inventory that allows us to begin to see where we might be able to create some space to allow ourselves the time to reconnect with self and figure out what actually matters. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, what immediately comes to mind for me is this fact that we have this little phone that we carry mm-hmm. around that um, that sucks us in without us even being aware of it, the amount of time. I, I'm wondering if you're finding that people, if that's one of the rest that people find that they go mindlessly into. Yes. And if it's funny that you say that, because I just was was working with a group recently. It happened to be a group of attorneys. And one of the people in the audience was really skeptical on this notion of like, why do I have to write it down? I already keep my time. I know how I'm spending my time. I was like, hey, look, just give it a shot. See what happens. And they reached out to me a couple of days later. And they're like, you know what I learned? I learned that I'm taking breaks every hour and that's fine. But in the majority of those breaks, I'm mindlessly scrolling the web or I'm playing a word game. Mm-hmm. And it's not that those things are inherently bad, right? Breaks are important. Downtime is important. If the word game feeds your brain or if you want to check the news, by all means. But what they realize is they have this time that they could recapture and use in more intentional ways. Mm-hmm. They could decide how they wanted to spend that, those, you know, probably hour worth of time during the course of the day, maybe even more. What do they want to do with it? Do they want to spend it doing some mindfulness work? Do they want to spend it doing some gratitude work? Do they want to spend it connecting with somebody instead of just mindlessly? And that's the key word, playing a game or scrolling the web. Yeah. Yeah. It's mindless. So much of what we do really truly is mindless. Um, And it's so funny because this is what I do with my life. I mean, this is what I do also, you know, similarly to you. And it is still... um, easy to fall into the patterns if you are not really intentional Yes. of what do I want to do? Who do I want to be today? Yes. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I was just talking to another client who was, you know, complaining that, you know, I get on my phone or I get on the face on my, you know, computer on Facebook and all of a sudden 10 minutes becomes an hour. And so there's little things you can do, right? It's okay. If you want to check in with your social network, I think that's great. And, And the reality is, I argue with my mom about this a lot, but I think that there is value in, in online networking, online connection. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. But, but there is a line at which it becomes like, it goes from valuable to again, mindless. So what is that line for you? Set a timer, do something, create a pattern interrupt that allows you to think, to have a moment. Do you still want to do this? Yes or no. Is this still a value? Yes or no. And, and I think it's just simple little things like that can be really meaningful in shifting how we're spending our time and also bringing us back to the present moment to ask the question. Yes, that's great. So what else What else would you say goes into the happiness recipe beyond um, really getting clear on where you're spending your time and shifting, you know, say, creating things like pattern interrupts to, to intentionally follow those paths? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's funny because I've done what a lot of us do, right? We went right from talking about how do we know what we want more of and less of to how do we execute on that? Mm-hmm. And we missed what I call sort of the the bridge, the bridge between the two, the middle gap that gets in the way, which is, do we have the supportive beliefs and feelings? Do we have the mindset that will facilitate us behaving in a way that's different than what we've, how we've always behaved. Right. And so I think, that's an important part of the recipe too. Good. So say more about that. Well, I mean, there's a lot in there, right? Yeah, there is, right. Exactly. So <laughs> so the mindset, I mean, so just to back up for two seconds. So I told you it's my basic 
sort of recipe for maximum happiness, do more of what matters, less of the rest. There's three gaps that get in our way. We've talked about two. I call the first the authenticity gap. And that's, do you know what matters most to to you in this season of your life? And are you willing to claim it? And then there's the physical energy gap, which is the action gap. Can you live in alignment with those things? And this middle gap is where we're living. I call it the emotional energy gap. It's really the mindset gap. And in there, you name it, right? Like in there lives, first of all, the ways that our nervous system can can create um, issues when we're trying to change behavior. In there lives guilt. In there lives worthiness. In there lives uh, our willingness and ability to say no. Um, In there lives the ways that we rob ourselves of joy by what if thing. Um, so there's a lot of things that can live in that gap. And I think it's about identifying the ones that are issues for you. And how I ask people to do that is we take that inventory that I described, then we create the more ideal inventory for this season of your life. What would you want it to look like if you were choosing instead of just doing And then we think about in order to execute on that more ideal inventory in this season, what would you need to believe and what would you need to feel? Mm -hmm. And when we make that list or when someone makes that list, there are often things that they write down and they're like, whoa, I don't know if I believe that yet. That's where the mindset work needs to happen to shift those beliefs. Because when we're trying to live a belief that we're not comfortable with, that's big change. And our nervous system is going to have some thoughts about that and potentially get in our way. And so how do we manage that? How do we regulate our nervous system? And then how do we shift those beliefs? Yes. And that right there is, is huge work. Yes. Um, yes. And so will you, um, will you explain, I am all about the nervous system and how it completely impacts who you are and how you feel in the world. Um, yeah. But can you, I'm sure to a lot of people that doesn't make sense. So um, what do you mean by regulating the nervous system and how that impacts how we show up? Yeah. So I'm going to oversimplify it on purpose. So if you're listening and you're, you're like a nervous system expert, you're going to be like, well, that's not quite right. And you're right. It's not. But I think to have a basic understanding, you don't need to be exact. You just need to be approximate. So in my mind, it goes like this. One of the jobs of our nervous system is to keep us safe. And that's where the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response comes in, right? Yep. And now safety simply means sort of alive and having our basic needs met. It doesn't mean happy. It doesn't mean satisfied. It doesn't mean abundant. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means, can I get this body's basic needs met here? Yes. Cool. Don't move right? Don't go somewhere else because I don't know on the other side, whether I will be able to keep you safe. It is much more comfortable for me, your nervous system, who is a very unsophisticated judge of what's good for you to stay here. So when we try to make change, what happens is we trigger that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn Mm -hmm. response in our nervous system, which feels like for many people, if they haven't sort of taken the time to really get to know their body responses, which feels like don't do it. This is bad. Stop, go back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it is easy then with that sort of voice from our nervous system to return to our comfort zone. But in order to change your life, you need to move outside your comfort zone. The other thing I will add is that the pathways in your nervous system related to this sort of fight or flight response 
the pathways from your body to your brain outweigh the pathways from your brain to your body 80% to 20%. Mm. Why is that relevant? What it means is your fight or flight response starts in your body, not in your head. And so one of the things that I like to do with people is get them to start to recognize the body cues that it's their nervous system doing the talking, because that is a way to distinguish the don't do it voice that is your nervous system from the don't do it voice that is your intuition. And that's an important distinction. Yes. So can you give an example? So for what um, body cue might be about a nervous system talking? Yeah. So for me, for example, um, I'm not, I'm better with public speaking now than I was, but there was a time in my life where when I had to speak in public, I would get sick to my stomach. That's a nervous system cue. That sick feeling in your, in my stomach was a cue, like, don't be too big. Don't be seen. Don't go in front of people and speak up. Right. Another one I have is when I am um, trying to avoid conflict, I get that tightness, that feeling in my chest, that real tight, you know, like, don't do it feeling. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it could be any number of things. One of the activities that I do with my clients sometimes who who are not sure what their cues are, which if you're not sure, that's okay. You're not alone, right? Right. Is actually to spend a week or two tracking tracking what you think they might be tracking things that come up tracking physical cues that you have when you're faced with what you perceive as a stressful situation mm-hmm. and i worked with a client who is has a really strong sort of science background and they actually put together a whole spreadsheet this person was a little bit skeptical about whether this was going to be a thing right like they weren't sure they bought this whole notion And um, they put together a spreadsheet and came back afterwards and were like, do you know what? There's patterns. I was like, no way. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, but I think until we do it, we don't really see it. And so it's developing that like brain body intelligence. And what's cool about it is when, you know, like for me, when I know, oh, that chest tightness is about conflict. Well, the other thing that happens when our nervous system gets triggered into fight, flight, or freeze or fawn is that we um, go from a headspace that is strongly capable of executive function to one that is less capable. And so you don't want to go into a conflict situation with a triggered nervous system because you're not going to handle it as well as you would if your nervous system was calm, right? Right. And so if I can feel that tightness in my chest and say, oh, it's coming, right? Like the message is being sent to my brain, shut down. I have a couple choices. First, I can exit the situation until I can calm myself down if that's what I need to do. Or the more I practice with it, I can actually have a conversation with my nervous system to say, hey, thanks for raising the red flag. I appreciate that you're trying to keep me safe. I've got this. You can ride in the car with me, but you cannot drive or control the radio, mm-hmm. right? So it's not about telling it to go away. It's not about telling it it's not an issue. It's about saying, I understand that you're raising the red flag because you want to keep me safe. And you and in the past, somewhere in my past, this has been an important part of staying safe, but mm-hmm. I don't, I've got this. I'll keep us safe. I promise. Right? Yeah. It's, it is so interesting because you know, the vast majority of the work I do is in this second prong. It is just this. And I, 
am to the point now where um, uh, with a lot of people, this was my story. And so I understand it is that I have a body that goes into panic. Yep. You know, if I like goodbyes, like when my daughters leave to go back to college, my physiology responds like my babies are leaving and I'm being abandoned and, and I panic, my body seriously panics. And so of course that goes into my head, like this is terrible and it's unsafe and they're unsafe. And I've learned that when I start to go into this, I can't trust anything my head says to me at all, at all. All I can do the best thing I can do is notice my physiology and do techniques like tapping and enter the other energy shifting to release that energy. Because otherwise, I mean, it's not, it's just my physiology. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I like to do, so sometimes on the fly, right. If you can't do, if you're in a situation where tapping isn't an option, mm-hmm. I like to do something that's called, and you've probably heard of it. Um, but like a, a vagal breath, like a deep vagal breath. Yeah. So breathing down into your belly below your diaphragm, right. And breathing out for twice as long as you breathed in. Yes. Can be a really quick on the fly. If you catch it early enough and you practice enough, that can be an on the fly reset. It may not work to be fair, Kristen, for (laughs) things like your, like your children leaving, right. That, that cause a big disrupt, but when you can catch it sooner on a smaller disrupt, it's a, it's a a huge difference. Like I've noticed it when, when I've got like, I'm conflict diverse, that's, that is a feature Mm -hmm. of my personality. And so when I have to have a conversation that me, that I perceive might be difficult, that's a quick reset for me, even in the midst of the conversation, nobody's going to really judge you too much for taking a deep breath. No, it is so great. And I love all the work that they're doing, learning about how much that then calms down the parasympathetic nervous system. And yes, and it puts you in it. We're animals. We truly are animals. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's so funny. I love that. Okay. So is there anything else, you know, we've kind of done a very broad stroke of what I am assuming is a lot, you know, a lot of digging and, and, um, you know, self-discovery, is there another aspect to this that we've missed that you want to generally cover or, or are we there? Well, no. So I, so we've talked a lot about sort of what's in my book, the happiness recipe, which is really about how do we architect a life that will bring us, um, as much happiness as possible in our current season. But I want to talk for just two seconds about kind of everyday happiness, right? Cause that's a little bit different than, re-architecting or architecting your life. And so for those of you who aren't in a position where you want to engage in that fulsome work to look at your whole life, um, I just want to say a couple things about happiness that I think are myths that are out there. And the first is that we believe, most of us believe that our circumstances are responsible for our happiness. And when we are unhappy, we believe that we need to change our circumstances to be happier. And by circumstances, I, I mean things like um, our wealth, our job, our relationship status, even our age or our, our perceived age. Um, and there's some really interesting happiness research that suggests that our circumstances are only responsible for 10% of our happiness. Wow. 
the remaining 90% is split like this. 50% of it is actually related to our genetic happiness set point, which is, I I won't go too deep into that piece. Um, Because what I think is interesting is the other 40% that are related to our daily intentional behaviors and actions. I mean, behaviors and thoughts, sorry. Um, And that's where you can have an impact on your happiness level without changing a thing. And I think that's particularly pertinent in the times that we're living in right now, right? Where a lot of our circumstances are outside of our control. How can we find happiness? How can we find moments of positive emotional experience, moments of joy, moments of engagement, moments of contentment in every day? And how do we sort of savor and expand those things? Because having those positive emotional experiences is so critical first to our sort of health and well-being, but second to building up our stores of resilience so that we can continue to weather really difficult times. Yes, that is such a great. And so with that sort of thing, is it a matter of, and I guess this is where things like being very um, deliberate about your gratitude, you know, it's, it's, it's pointing your mind towards paying attention to what is right instead of what's wrong. Is that it's a, a, a big part of it is gratitude. A big part of it is the second part of what you said, which is your focus. And my fo- where, you know, in general, where our focus grow- goes, grows, you know, that's our retic- reticular activating system. We'll mm-hmm. notice more good if we're noticing good. We'll notice more bad if we're noticing bad. Right. And so, yeah, that's a big part of it. The other piece of it is actually intentionally when we can't, when we aren't naturally sort of in the course of our days or lives having positive emotional experiences, it's actually seeking them out and creating them for ourselves, mm. figuring out what brings us a positive emotional experience at the like sort of tiniest, most essential level, and then being able to drop or that into our days you know, when we need it. And so that could be little things. And I want to make clear, I'm talking little things for me, it's the sun on my face. It's clean sheets. It's a hug from a loved one. Right. But it's, it's not just mindlessly doing again, mindlessly the word, right. Mm -hmm. It's not just mindlessly doing those things. It's seeking them out on purpose and allowing, like allowing yourself to marinate in the positive of it, right. Allowing yourself to truly experience the positive emotion of it. Yes. That's that idea of savoring. Yes. Of truly savoring. Yes. I do. I do love that. Which Ah. if we're, if we're not, uh, sorry to, but if we're not, if you're not, all I want to say is if you're not doing that already, if you're not doing that on a regular basis, it actually requires sort of like, I don't want you to fake it. I'm not saying that, but I, but do create it, do and do it intentionally do it. And it might feel a little silly at first to be like, Oh, you know, like my dogs are so darn cute. Like I'm having the best time just petting with petting them. Right. But I, but I think it's important to have, to take that, to make that shift. You've got to, you've got to make the shift. You've got to do it intentionally. Yes. Yeah. And the thing, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I'm such a cynic, you know, I'm always questioning things, <laughs> and do these work and blah, blah, blah. But one of the reasons I, and people used to talk about gratitude and all, you know, doing things like this, like focusing on positive things in the moment. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. So that's great for me for about three seconds. And then I shift right back into negativity. And then I learned about rewiring your brain. Yes. And this idea that the more you do it, you're actually creating new neuronal connections. So your brain starts to go there automatically instead of having to force it. And if you can think about, I mean, it's again, an oversimplification, but if you can think about your neural pathways as literal, literal, like ruts on a dirt road, 
you have to, you have, think about a wagon wheel, how many times it would have to pass into a new track to create a new pathway. It's sort of the same with our brains. It takes time. It takes repeated practice. And I mean, the science. So for me, the thing that, that really, cause I'm with you, I'm a cynic and a skeptic sometimes too. Maybe that's why we were both lawyers, but, <laughs> um, but, but when you really dig into the science on this stuff, it is act absolutely mind-blowing and undisputable that it has been proven and studied that these things actually change. I mean, gratitude alone can be responsible for, I think the studies suggest something like 20 or 25% increase in happiness, having a regular, regular gratitude practice. Yeah. It's crazy. I thought, yeah, I saw that it's an intentional gratitude practice leads to joy. Yeah. That's it. And that was when I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's not just a silly, silly exercise that you do just to feel like you're doing something. So, so for all you cynics out there, try it. It works. (laughs) That's right. And, And then you add, so like you've got the gratitude piece and then you add this sort of like having these positive emotional experiences and what the science there says is just the act of having the positive emotional experience does two things, even if it only lasts seconds. It broadens your ability, your perspective, your executive function, your problem solving for a period of time afterwards. And it literally puts sort of deposits into your resilience piggy bank. Like it's like, you know, thinking, think about it. It's like on a on a video game, like you're collecting extra coins to put in your resilience piggy bank every time you're having that positive emotional experience, even if it's brief. Yeah. That I mean, that right there. So it is is really, really important. So, and that might even be why, well, meditation is so important, but there's that idea of you start to look forward to it and savor it and it becomes this time of peaceful. And again, it's a, so then it's an intentional, positive, emotional experience, I suppose. Yes, that's for right. For a lot of people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. I love all this stuff. It's just a puzzle trying to figure out what we're doing. Can you remind people, um, Becky, where they can find you and learn more about everything that you're doing? Yep. One-stop shop, my website, website, untanglehappiness.com. Great. Thank you so much for um, sharing everything this today. Again, it for it, forever how much you know this, it never hurts to hear it again and again and again and again to be reminded, oh, these are the things to be paying attention to. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you. Yes. And listeners, thank you for being here and paying attention to your life and what, how you're showing up in it. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 